you should be able to extract three to $3,500 a month in rent, depending on how nice they are, what neighborhood you're in. So you will see, you know, a reasonable positive cash flow. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larby. Hey guys, Sarah Larby here and welcome back to another episode of Where Should I Invest? I hope everyone is doing well and also I am reading a lot more, so I'm just curious what you guys are reading and if you have any good books. I'll, I'll tell you a couple of recommendations that I have if you're looking to read a book, not necessarily real estate related, but Pat Flynn, who has one of my favorite podcasts right now, Smart Passive Income. He has a book called Superfans and uh, it is great. And I also just finished reading Atomic Habits. So those are the two books that I've read this month. Let me know if you guys have any good recommendations for future ones. Also, AJ Hazzy is my guest today, and he is a really successful real estate investor, also a licensed broker, property manager, new build. He builds a lot of new builds as well, and a lot more in the Okanagan region, and uh, he is out west. He's uh, an author, a coach, has done many great things as well. We have a great conversation, and we talk about also the furnished executive rentals, and one of the reasons that helped boost my cash flow was that I took some of those properties and I, instead of renting them long-term, decided to rent them on that medium-term market or the short-term market to boost the cash flow. So we talk about that as well. And I hope you guys enjoy the podcast. And if you haven't yet, just register on my website. There is going to be information about the Burr Freedom community that is starting in January. It's going to be two monthly calls and it is going to go through for the entire year. So spots are limited. It is an annual community of live calls that we're going to go through everything that you will need to know regarding the Burr process. You're going to meet some of my team as well. And one of those monthly calls is going to be content. We're going to go through every single step in a lot of detail. And then the other monthly call is going to be uh, me bringing in a team member and really digging into that specific module. So for example, we're going to talk about the buy. And so I'm going to be bringing in a few really good team members that help me find deals, buy deals. And then we're going to get to the renovation process. I'm going to introduce you to some of the contractors that have helped me as well. And also we're going to talk about just everything that you need to know that I've been able to do, uh, my documents as well. And it is a whole year process. It will be affordable. It is going to be a bigger group, but it is still going to be limited. So I hope that uh, you will join me on that. More details will be out. I will send out information by email. So just make sure that you are on my mailing list, sarahlarby.com, and then just sign up so that you can get my information. On that note, guys, enjoy the podcast and uh, reach out at any time. And I'm also on Instagram, if you have Instagram, at investor Sarah Larby. Now let's uh, bring in AJ Hazzy. AJ, welcome to the show. How are you? Very well, thanks, Sarah. Thanks for having me. So you are in wonderful BC, and tell us a little bit about you know what you do and who you are. Sure. Yeah, we operate out of Kelowna, BC, so it's a fantastic place to be based out of. And I've been in real estate since I was about nineteen years old, and uh, over the last twenty years have 
created a real estate firm, a construction division, property management division, and now we've got our little private equity fund as well. So vertically integrated all the way through the real estate game. And uh, I love it from the investor point of view, from the real estate point of view. It's just all I've ever known. And it's what I eat, breathe, and sleep. Very cool. So how did you even get started? Like what made you decide to go into real estate and make everything around you real estate related? It happened sort of accidentally. I uh, was a travel bum after high school, went to Australia and uh, we there was five of us traveling together and we were spending 30 bucks a night at a hostel. And so uh, I don't remember which one of us figured it out, but we could rent a house and then rent out rooms. And lo and behold, after about a year there, I was living for free and uh, I was, I was saving some money because I was working as a DJ and I came back with about 10 grand. I didn't know what to do with that money, but my dad said, you know, you could put a down payment on a house. And he introduced me to the concept of high ratio financing at that 19 years of age. And uh, so I didn't have any credit. So I joined forces with a buddy that had some credit at the time. And so two 19 year olds bought a five bedroom house for 160K and rented out rooms to our buddies and uh, we're living for free. Actually, we're making a little bit of money. And uh, that just sort of, got us going and we started buying, uh, you know, other properties. And I wanted to really entrench myself into it. So I got licensed that same year and I was a licensed realtor at 19 and just never looked back, started reading all the books, Don Campbell's books and, you know, Gary Keller's books and all that. And just, yeah, immerse myself in it. Awesome. Now as a, as a real estate investor specifically, what is your strategy and, uh, and what does your portfolio look like today? Sure. So, when I started, it was single family homes, suited. I think a lot of people do that. I executed the, the Burr strategy, which I know that you're uh, really championing that strategy. And I think that's a wonderful way um, to build a portfolio. And then as time went on, I started going into smaller multifamilies and then larger ones. And uh, so now I've got a mix between, you know, duplex, fourplex properties, as well as, you know, some 20 unit apartment building few buildings like that. They're harder to come by out here. I know they're a lot easier to find in other centers, but anytime anything like that, 18 to 24 units pops up where we can add some value, that's really what we're looking for. And you know, my strategy today really looks for stuff that cash flows, but has some residual land where we can do some further development. I like the, uh, because I've got the construction and the development background now, I like the opportunity to add value as well as make cash flow. Awesome. So you've got, you know, obviously the experience and where are these properties? Are you doing this in expensive areas? Are you doing these in, you know, some of the outskirts uh, further away? Where are you buying? Yeah, expensive sort of a, a relative term, but yeah, here in Kelowna, I would say that the numbers are starting to get a little more difficult given the pricing in relation to the rents, but uh, we still can make some decent cash flow here. You know, a duplex, side-by-side -side duplex here will you know, it will cost you about 750K and you'll rent it for probably 50 grand a year. So that's sort of how the numbers work. About a 15 GRM is what you're looking for in Kelowna. I find you can get slightly better numbers if you go just outside of Kelowna to Vernon, for example, or to Penticton. So we're, you know, we're in the Okanagan Valley. I do have some properties in Alberta and uh, we do have some properties in Arizona as well. But the primary uh, target for us has been the Okanagan Valley just because, uh, you know, obviously the thumb on the pulse of it here. Yeah, absolutely. You know, ironically, just the past week, I've had like three different people reach out to me from BC, different areas. And they're like, I, I have such a hard time figuring out how these numbers work. And, you know, when I listen to your podcast, you're talking to a lot of people that are buying, you know, two, three, four hundred thousand dollar properties, but I can't find anything like that. So can we just break it down? 
you know, based on, you know, some of the more expensive quote unquote markets, what are some of the strategies that people can think to, to say this will make sense in these types of markets, right? It, it probably isn't buying and holding a single family property that's turnkey. I mean, you, you can disagree if you want, but what are some strategies that people can look at that make sense out there? You can still buy a five bedroom single family home with a suite in the basement. I like to look for ones that have got some deferred maintenance and where they've been mismanaged because obviously that's where the opportunity lies to add value. But you can certainly still find your way into one of these houses for in the low 500s. And you should be able to extract three to $3,500 a month in rent, depending on how nice they are and what neighborhood you're in. So you will see you know, a reasonable positive cash flow, despite the fact that our average single family home here is, you know, closer to 800K. You do have, you know, that that sort of entry level, that buy level home that, uh, you know, can still be picked up in the low 500s. If you're looking at buying nicer stock, that stuff that's eight, 850,000, what people are doing now is uh, still buying them. The ones that were from the 90s, you're going to get a little bit better, better deal, doing the cosmetic overhaul on them and then renting them out as executive rentals. There's a, definitely a market here as people are moving to the area uh, who want to rent out nicer homes for, you know, 4,500, five grand a month, that kind of thing, especially if they're furnished. So a lot of people are doing furnished executive rentals now on some of the more expensive stock. And I think that's a strategy that's used in the lower mainland as well to try to get cash flow on the expensive houses. Actually, that's really interesting that you, you mentioned that. So Personally, for me, I, I finished this property in Burlington, ARV'd for about $890, bought it for $690, anyways, did, did some renos. And exactly what you said, there's actually a company, they're from BC, and they're sending their executives over. And they're going to be, right now, I mean, per month, $4,500 for the, for the house per month um, versus Airbnb. I actually like that because A, they're going to be there for you know, 30, 60, 90 days. I'm fine if they want to stay longer as long as it's not rented. But it, it, it's like... A little bit less wear and tear because there's, I mean, I do allow pets, which is, you know, it's my, my personal, you know, thing. Um, but you don't have the kids, you don't have the wear and tear as much if you've got the professional executives coming in. But it is, you know, I will say one of the, the things that are interesting, I don't know how, how well you know Ontario, but I, so I'm talking to my lawyer right now just to see like what can be done in order to like put something together for the company so that it's, you know, considered short term, but as soon as 28 days go uh, past that, you're, you're stuck, stuck with the LTB and the RTA should something happen. So like, there's that like fine line again, talk to your, mm -hmm. to your lawyer about it. I'm not giving you guys legal, legal advice, but there is the downside to that, right? When you're renting for those, those executive type of rentals, but it's a great idea. So what are some of the, the biggest positives, I guess you can, you can think of out there with people doing that in, uh, in BC? Well, I think the biggest positive is just the tenant profile, the you know, the, the type of person that's in my home has a very low likelihood of, you know, doing a midnight dash, has a low likelihood of putting a hole in the wall. You know, this is just a, a high caliber of people. And um, not to speak ill of the people who are at the lower socioeconomic bracket who rent out our apartments, all that, they're wonderful people. But I, I just find that with these executive rentals, your uh, problems per unit goes down considerably. So I think that's probably my number one. The, ca the cash flow, I, I think, still probably is better at the uh, entry level. It's, I still do think that you're going to get a better rent in relation to your price near purchase cost. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. So 
you know, it's, it's definitely a, a different way to think, right? Because at, at some point, you know, Airbnb can only take us so far and who knows that, you know, the, to me, there's, there's a little bit of uncertainty with that whole, that whole piece there. But how does somebody figuring out, figure out how to create, and I know that we're taking a different direction, but you can, you know, share your thoughts, how to create that executive type of rental, like who do they approach? How do they find, you know, people or companies to be able to, uh, to set that up with them? Yeah, there, I think there are networks of uh, you know groups that are that are doing this and looking to place uh, people. I've found that um, advertising on LinkedIn in certain uh, you know in certain niche uh, markets, like we're a, a resource. Uh, a lot of people who work in oil and gas will have their family stationed in Kelowna. We don't have that here, but it's close enough that you can fly from the Kelowna airport, you know, up to Fort St. John and that type of thing. So a lot of people keep their families here. So if you know what those companies are. Right. You can uh, you, know, you can reach out directly, do some outreach direct through LinkedIn to the executives that way. Um, but I found just posting it through, you know, just through our normal channels, there's such a demand that you almost don't need to, depending on where you are, of course, but here for sure, you don't really need to get that creative. They'll find you. There's just so little of that type of product that they will find you. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey, I just want to take a moment and interrupt the podcast to introduce you to my mortgage broker, Dahlia Barsoom, and her team at Streetwise Mortgages. Because everything around us is changing, the world as we know it is not going to be the same. COVID-19, the economic crisis is a time of uncertainty for many of us. And the lending and real estate landscape, they're changing quite rapidly day by day. Today's financing and investment decisions are going to be different than the ones that we made yesterday. Dahlia and her team are going to be able to help us maneuver through all of this. They're property investors themselves, so they've worked with thousands of real estate investors across Ontario, and they have their pulse and their finger on what's happening around us in real time from a real estate financing and investments point of view. Her team of advisors are committed to helping us keep informed and get that up-to-date information. And they're also going to be able to help us navigate through this crisis to also mitigate and minimize any financial distress during this whole transition, and also help us emerge out of this in a strong financial position so that we can leverage ourselves for some great opportunities that are going to be coming to us. They've been able to help many investors in times like this by really planning out your plan for the good, but also for the bad, because these circumstances that are happening are going to be very individual for all of us. And they're going to help navigate three key parts, financial stability, financial agility, and opportunity, and help you manage through those three things. When it comes to stability, how can you enhance your reserves and your liquidity to weather the storm? You're going to have different plans, so it's important to get that individualized plan. How can you utilize mortgage payment deferrals? Should you? Should you not? Why or why not? Any debt restructuring opportunities, those are all things that Dahlia and her team can help you work with. Now, when it comes to financial agility, there's some things that you might want to talk about are how do you make some improvements to your monthly budget so that you can increase your cash flow? Are there any financing tools that you can use to cover some short-term cash flow deficits? When it comes to opportunity, there's going to be some great opportunity that's going to come out of this. How can you set yourself up? for success. So her and her team are going to be able to help you maneuver through these things and create a plan 
not only for the good times, but also in times like this, so that you can handle the storm and come out ahead. Feel free to reach out to Dahlia and her team at info at streetwisemortgages.com or go to her website, streetwisemortgages.com. And now back to the show. Yeah, absolutely. So what are your thoughts? So this is one of the things I've been t- talking to my my realtors about, my team, but there's a lot of people that are a re- fixing their kitchen or doing some construction or they're in between houses and in between moves. I think there's a market for that, right? It's from the short to medium time frame. Maybe you've got a, somebody that has a house that's not yet being built or finished and they need a couple months, three months. I think there's a, there's a good market there. So I've reached out to a few of them to start putting some feelers out there. But I don't know what your thoughts are on, on trying to target some of the you know, homeowners in transition. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned that I have, uh, an executive rental in Arizona and our realtor constantly fills it on the off season for us with people who, who are building a house and that it's so almost every year, you know, when we're not down there, someone's in there for eight months and they're in the process of building a house. Cause that's roughly how long it takes. I think in order to find those people, typically it's your, it's your realtor network. That's going to know those folks that are in that transition. Right. So, you know, I think it's making people aware um, that you've got a place that's available for that. I and mean, we've got a group chat in our group of realtors and constantly we're seeing that who's got a, you know, a six month rental, who's got an eight month rental that's furnished. Right. We're seeing that all the time because we'll sell a lot to somebody and now they're like, okay, well, where do I go? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's the realtors that are going to you know, keep that full. And then there's all, all the little, um, you know, online forums and things like that, that I think you could plug into as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Really cool. So I want to switch it back a little bit to your, your business um, and, you know, how you got all that set up, but talk to us about, you know, all the different pieces. Cause you're, you're a realtor, you mentioned, you've got a company that does a few different things. So just, you know, can you share with the 30,000 foot view on what that looks like? So Vantage West Realty is our real estate brokerage and uh, that's comprised of about 20 agents and 10 administrators. And it's just a really strong team that offers you know, five-star service to its clients. We've made our uh, niche investment real estate, but that probably only makes up about 20% of the sales that we do on an annual basis. So we've got, we've got that. And then the next piece was property management because we were dealing with so many investors and because I have my portfolio at a certain level it just made sense to add the property management so now we've got about i think 500 doors under management and then the maintenance of that and the new construction that was coming from that it made sense to open up a maintenance division and a new construction division so we added that so this was just a progression as as the volume was there um we kept adding more things and in the background i had always been doing the real estate investing side and coaching people on a one-to-one basis on a strategy where we were buying at wholesale and selling using a rent own strategy and earning a really great cash flow in between. And so I was doing this on a one-to-one basis and then things got a little bit tighter for investors from the banking perspective and it got um, more challenging to do this on a one-to-one basis because a lot of my clients were retirees looking to augment their retirement because their income wasn't there anymore to get the mortgages. I put a fund together where I went out and personally guaranteed a large line of credit. And then we essentially through a limited partnership now are executing this strategy, but uh, together as a partnership. Lots of moving pieces. That sounds really interesting. So I want to dissect a little bit of of the brokerage piece first. So you're working with investors, uh, Mm -hmm. a lot of investors, 
And are you doing, are you helping them with like different strategies? Is it buy and hold and the burr and flipping? Walk us through that. Definitely burr is a, is a big strategy that we um, endorse a lot. People come to us and we sit down with them and try to understand their goals. If they're looking to create income, then, you know, we'll take them down to a few different strategies, which might include flipping. It might include, um, you know, rental and that kind of thing. Someone's looking to just create growth and they've got lots of runway left and they're looking to take whatever their, their quarter million dollars and see it turn, uh, you know, multifamily and put them into a small multi and show them how to add value and show them what happens over time to their, to their equity and that. So we've got a number of different strategies that we'll, we'll use depending on where the client's looking to go and what their time horizon is. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey guys, I just want to take a quick moment here and pause the podcast to introduce you to one of my favorite contractors, John from Blackjack Contracting Inc. And he has been serving the Niagara, Hamilton and Brantford areas for the past three years and has become the area's legal basement suite renovation specialist. He works with many investors that I know and some newer investors, some more experienced investors, and he converts single family homes into multiple units, as well as my favorite strategy, the Burr strategy. So he's well-versed in those as well to make sure that we can achieve the maximum value of the property and the maximum ARV. He has also completed over 100 units from Brantford to Niagara Falls, and everywhere in between as well. They do everything from permitting to the design to the final cleaning before listing our rentals for rent or for sale. And he's also a fully licensed electrical contractor. He's certified with ESA and he will take jobs of all sizes. So no job is too big. He's done a complete guts really from the ground up. So super impressed with his work and what he's been doing for fellow investors that I know as well. So if you wanted to reach out, his website is blackjack contractinginc.ca and you can ask him whatever questions you have. You can also reach out to him Instagram, which is at Blackjack Contracting Inc. And like he says, he knows that investing feels like the biggest gamble of our lives. So when you have Blackjack on your side, the house always wins. I will also add that there is currently a ban as of April 4th on new permits. So he will still actively work to the law's extent and actively work with investors to get projects planned out for when the ban is lifted. So that way you're not necessarily waiting and waiting and waiting. So guys, 100%, I recommend Blackjack Contracting. I will say that finding the right contractor is sometimes a hassle and getting a good one that works with investors that understands the numbers is going to be critical in our success, especially when doing the burst strategy. And now back to the show. Okay. All right. Very cool. Now with the property management, are you also helping them set up the property management piece afterwards? So like, let's just say, for example, I'm in Ontario, I'm interested in investing in, you know, one of the projects out there and I want to be a little bit more hands-off, like walk us through what that might look like for somebody that's, that's more remote. Yeah. And that's why we wanted the property management was to create, you know, a front end service so that people could come, they could acquire a property. They would, it would be in good hands. One of our property managers would have already seen prior to making the acquisition would have already told you exactly what they think it'll rent for. And then we've got a huge database of tenants plus obviously, um, you know, the marketing uh, pillars to bring in a, a huge surplus of quality applicants and then we'll sift and sort through them do all the background checks uh, do the placement and manage them all the way through and uh, we do property management with a little bit of a twist because i mean lots of property managers don't think in 
in the you know in the language of the investor they don't think in terms of the return on equity they're really just all about keeping it full and keeping it maintained we take it a sort of one layer deeper where we actually will analyze on an annual basis how your investment is doing and so we'll do a report uh, through our software to show you what your return's been and then make some consultative uh, recommendations as to how you can increase your roi yeah, that's really interesting because I think that's the that's the big thing, right? Is as an investor, especially some some newer investors out there, you might not have all of the different techniques or ideas or, or ways to you know maybe decrease expenses and increase income and what can be done. So I think that's actually that's actually very interesting. And you know, personally for me, I manage my properties. Um, at some point, I, I will find a property manager to manage the portfolio and and you know be out of the yeah. country a little bit more. Hopefully, the the border is reopened at some point. But it's important to hire for sure the right property management company that's going to have your best interest, but also be able to give you those those insights mm-hmm. because it's not just about okay collecting the you know collecting the money and uh, doing the increases, but like let's think outside the box. So what are some ideas that you've provided your your investors from a property management standpoint on things that they could do to to you know make it better for the following year? Yeah, there's there's lots. I mean, one of the real low-hanging fruit ones is is dishwashers. We uh, had an investor that bought a, an 18 plex and none of the units had had dishwashers in them. And so we were able to look at it and say okay, for about 550 bucks per unit, we're able to add this dishwasher, but immediately we were able to charge $50 more in rent. We gave the tenants the option and all of them took the option of of the rental increase to do that. The nice thing about multifamily is if you can add, say $600 a year to that net operating income with that dishwasher, you've actually added $12,000 to its value based on how these properties are evaluated, which is on a five cap. So you times the net operating income increase by 20, and you've got the new value. So each of those units had an increase, basically twelve thousand dollars for a five hundred and fifty k or five hundred fifty dollar investment. So yeah. that was uh, that was a nice win, and obviously that added some nice cash flow. Parking is another one uh, where people are willing to pay for uh, additional parking. Uh, another strategy I heard uh, recently that we've used was including the cable, and then when uh, people don't pay their rent, you can actually cut the cable off. And that usually is a pretty quick motivator to get to, to get them to uh, want to reinstate. So that was a good one. Oh, boy, there's lots of stuff that we've uh, that we've done, but a lot of it comes down to really the thoughtful renovations too. It's like how can we go in and spend, you know, five six thousand dollars per unit on the right stuff? Bathtubs, for example, are one of those things. Um, making a little work from home area, creating a little nook now with everybody working from home. Uh, you can charge more for rent because you're creating a space for people to be able to, like I say, operate from their house. Lots of little strategies like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's interesting too. I mean, every market is different, right? Every market has their like landlord tenant rules and regulations and what can be done or not. And you mentioned like, you, did you say you had some in Arizona as well? Yeah. Yeah, it's the one. So, I mean, the rules are probably a whole lot more, and I don't know this, so please correct me, but I'm guessing versus Ontario versus BC, is it more tenant friend or landlord friendly over there? Mm-hmm. Like, could you increase your rents, you know, by more than 2.2% or zero, according to what we might be able to do this year, which is nothing. Yeah, um, similar to Alberta and BC is similar to like California and Ontario. So, you know, the, very uh, tenant friendly in BC, just like they are in Ontario, Arizona. It's the kind of place where you can ride a motorcycle without a helmet. So 
you know, same thing. It's it's kind of all wild west, and it's it's definitely geared a little more towards the landlord. Yeah, so it's it's just important to like know the differences between what can be done, what cannot be done, and multifamily. Like it's all about the NOI, right? How can you get higher rents and how can you decrease your expenses? And there's always going to be some like different strategies. And, you know, I was even thinking like, um, and I was telling some of my students this, but like, if they're so below rent, here's the thing. TVs are not that expensive anymore, right? But what if you get, you offer them a really nice big screen TV, the ones that have been there for a long time and get them to agree to reset the rents at a certain amount or rent that TV like to them if, you know, or something Mm -hmm. along, along what you said with a dishwasher. I think that's all the thinking outside the box thing. The the standard stuff is the parking and the storage and, but there's definitely more to do. And, And if the tenant and you agree, then, you know, it's, that's perfect. That's all you need is for both parties to agree. Another one that you can do is you can set the lease at market rent, and then you can offer a discount down to what it needs to be, but it's an on-time payment discount. And the nice thing about that is one, if they're late, obviously then the full rent would apply. But number two, this is actually not an, it's not a rental increase to eliminate a discount. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. And actually the, the Ontario standard lease, I'm not a paralegal, I just have to say this, but the Ontario standard lease does have a place that says rent discount. So you, you can jack it up a little bit more and, or, you know, payment on time is the regular rent that you wanted to begin with. And just say, if you're, you know, here's your rents, but here's your actual rent that we discussed, just pay on the first. Correct. Yeah. So that's, that's a great idea for sure. So what, what's the next thing for you guys? Like what's your next, you know, goal or your next plan? Yeah. So one of the things that uh, we're really excited about right now is we're going to, as an office, build um, a, a large mixed use. We, we purchased a property uh, in the city center a few years back and we've taken it through the rezoning. So I fractionalized it and got everybody in my office uh, involved. And so now we're going through the process together to come up with a design that we all like and to uh, uh, take it through the rezoning process, as I say, and then we're going to put it up for bids under, under the construction contract and see what, uh, you know, see what, how we go here for the next couple of years building this place, but that's going to be our new home and it's a mixed use. We're going to have residential on top, uh, some commercial strata above us, and then we're taking all the retail space. So we're going to have a nice uh, 7,500 square foot office to move into. And we're really excited about that. And then obviously what that leads to is us scaling up the brokerage a little bit more. We're, we're somewhat at capacity. We're at a nice comfy size of about 30, but I think when we get into the new square footage, we'd like to spread our wings a bit and and, uh, scale up so we can offer our service to a a larger group of people. That is awesome. Are you building stick or are you looking at modular? Because I I started looking at modular a little bit and I don't know what your thoughts are on it or if you've started looking at that. Modular is really interesting right now. This particular building, just given the height, is going to be concrete and glass, but uh, we are looking at for uh, a five unit, I'm sorry, excuse me, a five story, 60 unit apartment building that we're building right now, modular. And it's very exciting. Some of the stuff that's happening there. And just the construction time is so much uh, shorter with that. The, the construction time, the, the, you know, not having to have to coordinate the trades and, and the snow. Well, I mean, you guys don't have as much snow as us, but even just the weather, mm-hmm. right. Is not even a factor. And, and it's so impressive. I was at the, um, Bonville factory and how like they go through the line and how fast they build these things is just like, it's amazing. I think what that industry needs is a rebrand. I was thinking I would change the name from modular to controlled environment construction. And then I think people will mm. like it because they'll, they'll understand it. Modular for some reason has got a dirty, it's kind of a dirty word out here. Yeah. But controlled negative, environment, negative. you wouldn't want your building constructed in a 
control the matter. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, I've heard prefab as well, but you're right. Like it, it, you think, and it, it's come a long way, but you think cheap, like, I don't know. I, I, you know what I think of? I think of like some of the Florida, like places for retirement mm-hmm. and it's like a little trailer house, <laughs> you know, it's, that's what I used to think back in the day, but it's, it is not that like, it, you couldn't even tell the difference between something that's been built sick or, or modular these days. Right. So uh, lots of advantages. Obviously, there is still the whole timeline, right? The timeline of having to wait for the permits for whoever else you're dealing with for that municipality. And that, I mean, that on its own, right? Huge. Getting the, the go and the green light to do it is a whole process on its own. So the next part of our podcast is our lightning round. I'm going to ask you a series of five questions and you're going to give me the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready? I'm nervous. <laughs> All right. Question number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book ever? Uh, the Millionaire Real Estate Investor by Gary Keller. It's a good book. Number two, what is your favorite podcast that you listen to most often? Uh, I would say I listen to Patrick Francis, Everyday Millionaire, and I listen to the GED, Get Shit Done, or what is it? The Get Shit Done, GSD, that guy. Nice. I, I don't know that one, but it it's, it's he's a real estate guy that uh, he interviews U.S. brokers that are that are doing well. And it's good. He's just got a good uh, good energy. GSD. Awesome. Number three, what do you do for fun aside from real estate? Boxing, snowboarding, wake surfing, just anything I can do to get outside and have some fun. Very cool. Number four, if you lost all of your money and your assets tomorrow, how would you start again? Rent home. I would do, uh, I'd start sandwich leasing my way back to the top. Okay. All right. Now, would you broker the rent to own or would you be your own person that, that carries the mortgage with it and the down payment? I would look for people who had previously been for sale, who were now suddenly for rent. And I would go and offer them the exact amount they wanted for sale on an option. And I'd pay them their half month's rent and I'd look to sublet it and sandwich lease out of it. So I'd have no money into it and essentially be wholesaling these deals. Awesome. All right. Very cool. Number five, if somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend they spend it? 50 grand. I would go into a single family house and use the purchase plus improvements program to do your renovations and build some sweat equity that way. But uh, go as high ratio as I could on a single family house and using other people's money. Good, good. So AJ, if somebody wanted to reach out to you, know more about you, know about, you know, different programs that you might be offering, how can they do that? And uh, tell us a little bit about that. I would welcome that. And uh, the best way to do it is just to reach out to me by email, info at ajhazzy.com. All right. Any final last words of advice or anything else for the listeners? I would just say that if you're at the start of this real estate journey and you're thinking this is daunting, you don't have to know everything before you do it. You just need to start and everything will reveal itself as you go. And it's, it's worth it. It's a pain in the butt sometimes, but it's, it's absolutely worth the, uh, worth the headaches to get to uh, where this can take you. Awesome. Thanks so much for being on the show. AJ it was a pleasure. Thanks for your insights. You bet. It's been my pleasure. Thanks, Sarah. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons, and at the time, they all seemed very valid, but as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away, 
And eventually only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked. And also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And, you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.